What's up, fine folks? Welcome back. This is episode 11 of Double Tapped. I'm Jay. I'm Tanner. Tanner, we're bending the rules again. <laughs> but it's... We it's just had Mexican food. That's true. We make the rules. It's very hot outside. It is. It's really warm. So really, there's nothing better for those two things put together than a margarita. And this is definitely the best prepackaged margarita oh, Cayman on Jack. the shelves. Shout out to the Caymans. They Delightful. Uh, I've never seen this quote on the side of the can. Quote, this is in quotation marks, arguably the most refreshing margarita in the world. End quote. That's a pretty hefty in argument the world? to make. <laughs> I don't know if in the world Most applies, refreshing canned margarita? Now, probably. Now you're talking. Yeah, this is the ultimate summer drink. Yeah, for sure. Tanner, oh, it sounded a little dangerous there for a second. Oh. We're good, we're good. What you been playing this past week? Uh, I've been playing uh, a game that we are going to talk about a little bit later, uh, and a game that we've talked about a lot already in Returnal. Uh-huh. But that's going to be a big topic for later, so we're not gonna we're not gonna broach it uh, now. I've also I've just kind of been dabbling. Yeah. It's been one of those weeks. Dibble so dabble. I've been playing a little bit more NBA Two K. Still very high on that game. Great podcast game. I also so I was looking at. We recently saw our good friend Andrew. Uh-huh. He and I, before you got here, were just talking about like our rarest trophies. Mm. So I found out what his rarest trophies were. Okay, well, what was it? Do you know? His th- top three rarest trophies were from Killzone Shadowfall. Of course. Which did not surprise me. We, also, are, we are a unique group <laughs> when it are. comes to that game. Also, uh, UFC, which did not surprise me at all. But two of the most surprising ones for, were from Don't Starve. Oh. Which are trophies that I got him. Because <laughs> we were, ta- I forget why, but I started playing it on his account, yeah, and just ended up with like the perfect map. That's awesome. And so there's this thing in Don't Starve on the PlayStation where it's like one of the trophies is specifically called Build the Accomplish Shrine, which is just a silly cosmetic thing just made for a trophy, but you need like specific parts to get it. So I got this trophy for him, and then there's another trophy for like using it, using it, which is just clicking it 725 times. I don't know why that's the number. He has both of those trophies that I got him. I do not. There you because go. Because the map just worked out for him in such a way. So the I've, game is very luck based in a lot yes, of ways. So I have been dabbling now in Don't Starve. Been kind of playing that game a little bit more. It's a great game. I, I have like a lot of nostalgia towards that game in a way that is probably not warranted because I was never particularly good at it. Mm. But something about the aesthetic, the Minecraft survivalist nature of it, like I have a undying respect for that game. That game is really amazing. It's so good. Uh, so I've been dabbling in that. I have downloaded but yet to play at all Persona 5 again. Okay. It's a game I've had on the back of my brain for a while. Um, fun stream game, but I think it would serve me better as a uh, off-stream sort of podcast game because yeah. it is, you know, very grindy. It's a JRPG. Um, I've also downloaded Tricky Towers again as per our conversation a couple yeah. of weeks ago. Uh, there's some other games that I've I downloaded Sonic Mania. I've never really played a Sonic game. Having reading Console Wars, a lot of it's about Sonic, so I was like, I have this for free. It was a plus game forever ago. Yeah. Uh, another plus game, Wreckfest. I downloaded Wreckfest. Okay. Have you played any? Not of it? yet. So I played it. Uh, Wreckfest, for those of you who don't know, is a racing kind of game, but it's it's equally about racing and also destroying your opponents in sort of like yeah. a monster truck setting. Um, or that kind of thing where it's like a, a, what do they call those? Destruction Derby? Is that what yeah, it's called? Yeah. So they, it's like one of those things. Um, but not Destruction All-Stars because, That's you true. Know. That game was not good. No. But. It was meh. Uh, I had Wreckfest a long time ago. The first time I ever heard of this game was like, no joke, probably six years ago, seven mm. years ago. 
someone that I nerd cubed who was like a YouTuber. I really liked him at the time, and he did their sort of. It was like a. It was very very early access. It was like a sandbox. So it was basically the same destruction engine. But there were ramps you could go off, but you're by yourself, and then there were, like, bowling pins you could drive into. It was just like a little sandbox. Um, so I've had this game on PC for years, but haven't really gone back to it after the sort of fun that gave me. Yeah. There's a lot more game to that game than there used to be. I'm so, excited to dive into it. Yeah, I'm interested to see more. I haven't really played enough to give it a full thought, but it's free right now. Um, so if you have a PlayStation, so download it. That's about it. That's about it, yeah. pretty much all I've been playing is Returnal. Um and as I touched on last week when I was, you know, I had just overcome the hours-long search for Scout Log 9. Yes, which I don't have, by the way, and it scares me. I'm currently on the hours-long search for Xenoglyph Cypher 20. <laughs> um, which means nothing to people who haven't played that and game. And we'll, we're going to talk some more about the story, structure and story and a lot of things that we Tanner hadn't got to talk a lot in depth about. Yeah. Uh, we're going to get into a lot of that later. Yes. That'll give me an opportunity to sort of... Describe in more detail why I maybe don't have this one yet. Okay. So we'll get more into that later. Yeah. But for now, Tanner, this is the biggest news week we have had so far on this show. <laughs> yeah. So we should be clear. We normally record on either Saturdays or Sundays uh, for a number of reasons. Jay is out of the town for the weekend. Uh, and there's just a lot of news happening today. Yeah. We're recording on Thursday, May 28th. So is it 28th? 27th. 27th. May 27th. Yeah. So uh, that's when we're recording. I'm sure there's stuff that's going to happen between now and you seeing this. But just yeah. giving that, and we've also now. made it aware that we will not be recording an episode next week, right? Although, wouldn't be surprised. Just check our Twitter accounts. I'm sure we'll they'll have some reactions if anything crazy oh, sure. happens. Yeah, yeah. And we will definitely touch on all of that at a later point. Sure. But for now, here's the stuff that we have on tap that we can talk about. Hey. First of all, let's hit with some of the quick stuff because we've got some big game, you know, presentations that have happened today. But there are a few little news stories we wanted to talk about. Yeah. At least for a very brief moment. Sure. The first one. Uncharted 4 reportedly coming to PC. Yes. Cool. Like, yeah, I'm I'm all for it. Uh will be interesting to see if this is sort of a uh a smoke signal for a possible Uncharted 5. Yeah. Because I wonder what the benefit of bringing it to PC because the games we've seen them bring to PC so far, Horizon getting a, a sequel. Mm-hmm. Um Days Gone, which we thought might get a sequel, apparently that's not happening. Uh-huh. Uh, Death Stranding was brought to PC. People think that might have just been more of a Kojima thing than a Sony thing. But uh, all of the uh, Heavy Rain, Beyond Two Souls, Detroit Become Human, all those came to PC. But it seems like if people are trying to read the tea leaves of this announcement, there may be another Uncharted game somewhere in the works. I would not doubt a new Uncharted game at some point. Yeah, at some point. I just don't think it'll be Naughty Dog, and I don't think it'll be soon. No, I think this... I think you're absolutely right. I think this is... This seems to be Sony's strategy which is just to sort of dangle the carrot in front of people in different platforms and say <laughs> yeah. hey get a taste of this franchise that we're going to unveil a game for later right. and then come get our console so you can play it. Yeah. They did it with Horizon. You know, they're I think they're pretty clearly doing it here as well. Yes. Um but good for people who haven't gotten the chance to play on Charter oh, 4 because it's an absolutely wonderful game. And I'm sure that game will run magnificently oh, on PC hardware. I'm excited to replay it at some point on PS5. Yes. Just I'm sure I had last played it on PS4 Pro, which I imagine for the... That game came out in 2016. Yeah. You probably got about as much as you could get out of it on the Pro. Right. But still, like, the game still looks fantastic. Yeah, I wonder if at some point... Because has Uncharted 4 gotten, like, an FPS boost yet on PS5? I want to say it actually was already running at 60 on the Pro. So I, I wonder if we'll get the 4K 60 thing then, because I imagine some of the work of putting it on PC 
would be giving it some of the variable refresh rates and resolutions yeah. and stuff. So would seem like a no brainer to bring that to PS5. So that'd be a good sign. Definitely. As well. And this story emerged sort of in the wake of a Sony sort of internal sort of presentation that was sort of circulating on Twitter. This wasn't like yes. a public presentation of any kind. Yeah, it looked like it might have been the shareholders yeah. or one of those kind of things. And another interesting tidbit that came out of this that you had highlighted that we, you wanted to talk about at least a little bit yeah. was the growth in, I guess, gender share of PlayStation console <laughs> ownership over time. Right. Because uh, there was a graphic that was tweeted Yes, that was basically PS1 to PS4 slash 5. And the percentage jumped from, I want to say, 18% to yep. 40, what was 41, 41, yeah. 41%. So, uh, this is of people who identify as women owning consoles, right. um, which I think I just want to bring it up because I think it's awesome. Uh, and it's it's one of those things that obviously you see a lot of the vocal minority of gaming seems to be, you know, the the man mad about whatever game. Right. Yeah. That seems to be like the when you pick like, the vocal minority about anything. That's true. That's very true. <laughs> Uh, but it's really cool to see not only on uh, just in gaming in general, the sort of realization of companies that, oh, yeah, women play games, too, because a lot of our generation, it didn't matter. We grew up playing games. It didn't yeah. matter who you were. And now those people are adults buying consoles that I think is a big part of it. But also it's cool to see that it's PlayStation, mm -hmm. which is a lot more all encompassing because the last the last visuals that we saw for something like this or at least that I remember was for the Nintendo DS mm -hmm. and they were saying like our market share is almost 50-50 that kind of thing but Nintendo has done a much better job skewing to all markets I think than families. Sony has. right exactly you know, not just people yeah so the fact that this is a statement for Sony and I have the uh have the pleasure of knowing so many like women streamers and female gamers in the community all that kind of stuff and the amount of people who love sort of your Naughty Dog, your God of Wars, like those kind of games is a huge portion. Yeah. Almost every female gamer I know that's played, almost every gamer, I should say, that have played those games have loved them. And it's cool to finally see data backing that up. Yeah. And with, I mean, I think you can give PlayStation a decent amount of credit for sure. actually leaning into female protagonist led games yeah. with the likes of Ellie and Aloy and... Uh, you know, Lost Legacy featuring Chloe as a spinoff of Uncharted. Like, Celine and Return. Celine, absolutely, which we'll talk about. Yeah, um, um, they've done a great job in that front. They have, and I, I I saw some people talking about it too. It's like, it's so nice we've moved on from sort of the bro '90s yeah. aesthetic and advertising when it comes to video games, and it's just become whoever wants to play can play. Yeah, and it's sort of interesting. A little bit of my personal perspective being, and I've always approached media this way of being like, I'm very. Breaking Bad is an example that I bring up in this context a lot. You root against Walter White, right. right? But I've always been like, I identify with whoever the protagonist is. Right. So I sort of root for Walter White. Yeah. I always thought that maybe it would be tougher for me to sort of transition to, you know, games led by a female protagonist. Yeah. It has not been. No, like, it's, it's not at all. It's all about, it, you come to realize as you get older that if this is a character that's well-developed, it doesn't matter who they are, like right. where they come from. Exactly. You're learning their story and it's just, if it's told well, it's told well and that's all that really matters and kudos to them. They've told a lot of female-led stories really well. Agreed. And I think this even, like, this is just a broader point in gaming in general. An easy point to this being not necessarily from man to women, but from white man to black man mm. in Watch Dogs, right? Aiden, the white guy, was the most boring character of all time. Then Marcus, the black guy, as the, the yeah. protagonist of Watch Dogs 2, was so awesome and so fun and way more relatable than Aiden ever was, even though I, on paper, share more 
from an identity standpoint with yeah. Aiden. So it just, like you said, it go, it comes down to the story you're telling and not the character who's the main point of it. Yeah. So good trends to see on that front. Agreed. Uh, I mean, we had actually talked about an interesting hypothetical that I'm using very loosely to transition into our next story. Oh, okay. Uh, talking about that. We thought that maybe even the switch, cause we were talking about Nintendo consoles yeah. might be even more interesting to see there closer. We guessed closer to like a 50, 50 sure. skew. Right. Speaking of the switch. Whoa. There have been more reports that have come out today further, not solidifying, because it is not solidified, right? but further hinting towards the potential of a 4K-capable Switch yeah. due out as early as this fall. Which would be good for my E3 prediction. Would be great for yours, but <laughs> as early as leaves the window open sure. for mine. Yeah, so, absolutely. You know, we'll, we'll never know until we know. What do you want it to be called? The sw- I don't want it to be anything weird. I want it to be like the Switch Plus or the Switch Pro. What about the Super Switch? I kind of like that. The Super Nintendo, a little bit of that. I don't hate history. that. And Not I do bad. think that gives it a little more of a the feeling of a leap in a way that yeah. the others don't. Yeah. Like the uh, PS4 Pro doesn't have the same ring to it because it's still the PS4 right. something. Yeah. Um, something that would sort of differentiate it in a way that I don't know. It's hard to say because yeah. is that really any. You know, different than Switch Pro, Switch whatever. No, not but really, it's cool. but it's cool. <laughs> and the word super. A, that's a big thing in marketing. It it's is. just a cool thing. It absolutely is. Um, so we'll have more on that whenever we get an official announcement, sure. which seems to be, has to be very soon. Yes. Tanner? What's up? I told you not to look at Twitter before we get on. Yeah, it. this was really soon, like yeah. literally 30 minutes ago. This was 15 minutes ago, minutes ago is yeah. when this story dropped, or at oh, least okay. when I saw it. So this is the last of these quick hitter stories I want to talk about. Okay. Tanner, do you know who Merle Dandridge is? I don't. But you do. Merle Dandridge is reprising her role as Marlene in the HBO Last of Us oh. series. Oh, that's awesome. I'm like, that is awesome. Good I love her. that. Yeah, that's so dope. Um, Because we know uh, Pedro Pascal is going to be Joel. I forget right. the name of the girl who's going to be Ellie. I do too. But she's from Game of Thrones, right? Is that her Yes, something. yes, but it's not Macy Williams. I was not familiar with her prior no, to her neither. casting in this. No. But it was interesting to see them go that route with those characters and yes. then actually cast the voice actor of Marlene as Marlene. That's going to be such a great, almost a wink and a nod to the fans of the game yeah. in a way. But it's, the more that I think, like, after just, I'm just processing this now, she may be one of the hardest characters to not think of the exact way she looks mm. like Marlene to me. I picture her when you meet her early on in last of us one and she's injured and it's like her facial expressions there. It's, it's going to be so exciting to see her be able to bring that to the show. Yeah. And I wonder how much of a role she'll play. I, I hope it's the I same think, role as yeah, the game. I think this bodes well for how accurate the show will be to the story of the Solid game. point. You know? Yeah, that's a good point. Like, why else would they cast someone like this if not that Marlene is going to have those integral scenes the same way she has in the game? Right. She's not throughout the whole game, but some of the scenes she has are among the most impactful in the whole game. Oh, agreed. That I can just picture her knocking that out of the park if they let them do it in a way that honors those scenes in the game. And I'm more optimistic. I mean, I've always been semi-optimistic for the show just because it's HBO. Oh, me too. But hearing Andrew sing the praises so heavily of Chernobyl, yeah. which is the same showrunner director as The Last of Us show, that has me even more excited with this news. So, yeah. man, I hope it's good. I, I have no good. doubt that it'll be good. It's just how good. Yeah. We shall see. Tanner, let's move on to our three big stories. Yeah. 
in ascending order of bigness. Okay. <laughs> and that's ascending order of bigness for amongst us hardcore people. Because amongst right. the most casual, we might be going in reverse order of bigness. <laughs> Not really. That's fair, yeah. But the first one being Sonic. <laughs> A new mainline Sonic game has been announced. Okay. It's due out in 2022. We don't pretty much know anything else. Okay. We don't know a name? Uh, we, no, we don't know a name. All right. Other than All we know is it's from Sonic Team, the team that's, or the team that's made all the mainline Sonic games. Yes. Um, we do know that they are remastering Sonic Colors, which is a game that I'm not really familiar with. Wasn't even, that a DS game? I think it was some sort of spinoff that on some other you know platform that I'm not really familiar with. Me being, I'm not going to call myself a Sonic fan but i'm a sonic appreciator sure a sonic uh nostalgia indulger if you will um <laughs> it, a, was, it was on ds and Wii. okay so yeah they're remastering it which okay. is cool you yeah, know that's apparently fine. it's actually one of the more re- well-regarded sonic games especially in recent years yeah that makes sense um so good to get sonic back in the public eye especially putting yeah. one of his better outings forth um are you at all intrigued by the idea of a new, like, full-on Sonic game? Yes. Really? The only reason being Console Wars. Oh, okay. This <laughs> book is so much about Sonic versus Mario that I have come to... And the way it's... I mentioned this last week that I've been reading Console Wars. I'm about halfway through it now. I've been reading it really fast for me. Um, it's like a 600-page book. But it is it almost paints Sega as the good guy, and therefore Sonic as, like, sort of the hero of the good guys... And it's been effective in marketing Sonic to me. So much so that I downloaded Sonic uh, Mania, as I mentioned earlier. But I am am so into this book that I might be into this game. We'll see. Well, to me, it's always... And this is always where I've come down. If you strip away the history of the two franchises... Yeah. Conceptually, Sonic is a cooler character than Mario. Oh, yeah. You know? Well, like, there is a coolness to Sonic that Mario doesn't have. Sure, and that was the whole idea. Like, they, and not to nerd out about console wars too much, but it's just yeah. relevant right now. Um, with the Sonic versus Mario thing, when the Genesis was, like, really making its push, they did, like, the Sega World Tour, mm. which was basically kind of like what we did with PlayStation VR at Best Buy, yeah, right? Like, it was, it like, around kiosks people. at different malls. But it was a lot more elaborate, and they would literally put an SNES with Super Mario World and a Genesis with whatever Sonic, I guess it's just Sonic the Hedgehog, side by side, and 88% of people chose Sonic, because he was faster, he was cooler, I was say, he in had like a limited, In a limited slice, you could see how, like, oh, look how much faster yeah. and more dynamic this game look is compared. Look how fluid the gameplay yeah. is, yeah. So, it's, I mean... He has a cool factor, and I was not, we were both a little bit too young to really have experienced, not the game Sonic Mania, but the the, the phenomenon of Sonic yeah, Mania. Yeah, like 2D Sonic in its prime. Yeah, like early 90s, Sonic was apparently huge. Yeah. Like to a level that I didn't fully comprehend until reading this book. Yeah. Um, I remember watching some Sonic cartoons as a kid, and yeah. that was cool. And obviously, like, Sonic Adventure 1 and 2 are where I my primary Sonic allegiances lie. Yeah. And that sort of leads me to, I don't know what I want this game to be. Mm. I don't know if I want, like, what is a de facto Sonic Adventure 3, where right. it's more, like, stage-based and that sort of thing, or if I want something that's more, like, the Mario Odyssey of Sonic, where it's a little more <laughs> right. open and, you know, you can do more I things. I mean, if they craft something that good, I'll be in. And, I mean, that's just more of, like, an analog to say what the game could be the based format. on. Less, sure. less in terms of the quality sure, of what sure, I think sure. it's going to be. Yeah. But if they give us, like, an 8 of 
that style of Sonic, I am all in. Like, <laughs> yeah. all in. It's funny because I have no nostalgia for that franchise at all. And I, I was talking, I don't remember if it was on the podcast or on stream, but like, I don't even know if I've ever held a Sega controller. Oh. Like, it's that, I have no connection to Sega whatsoever. Was it any SNES family, then N64, then PS1, and then just took off from there. But I am rooting so hard for Sonic now because this damn book that I'm like, all right, I'll play it. Why not? I mean, there's no way it's ever going to turn the corner like an overcome Mario. No, but, no, no. You know, here's hoping that he's just hoping they make something good. That's really yeah, all I that, could hope for. That fan base is so diehard, too, that like I'm to all, a fault. Sure. <laughs> you know, as many gaming fan bases are. Sure. But. All right. Let's move on to our next story. OK. And we're going to talk a little bit about Dying Light 2. Yeah. Dying Light 2, Stay Human. Oh. As it is now known. That is the subtitle. Tanner, just earlier we watched the uh, gameplay reveal that came out today. Yes. And it's set, technically, it's like a gameplay re-reveal. We sure. had seen some gameplay two years ago. Which uh, I was surprised it was that long ago. Yeah, it feels way more recent. Um, but what are you thinking? I'm like, as I said, I'm actually more excited about this game than the game that we're going to talk about here in just a minute. Right. Uh, I played, and it's it's been one of those games that... When I have the time I want to get to, and maybe now is the time, uh, Dying Light 1 I've probably played four or five hours of. Like That's not, all, really? Yeah, I didn't play that much. Wow. Um, maybe a little more, but really not a lot at all. I, I'm to the point where if I were to pick it up now, I'd just restart it. Yeah. Um, but it has a lot of promise to me, even in the early stages of like, okay, this is legit scary when it becomes night. Uh, all the resources you can find are cool. The parkour is fun. And this seems like really cool evolutions of that. Mm. Uh, looks great. Visually looks really, really good. The combat, at least in this gameplay trailer, this vertical slice, looks very brutal. Very, yeah. To a point, I don't remember the first one being that way, but maybe I just didn't play it enough of it. It wasn't quite as that. As like, you could as literally that. just curb stomp someone in the trailer, and that was pretty fun. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm intrigued by it, and I, I want to play Dying Light 1 before, before this comes out on, as it was revealed, December 7th this mm. year. And... This is one of the few times that I would ever say a lot of people sort of have complaints when a sequel to a game comes out and they'll just say, oh, it's more this. Right. More of the same. Like they're expecting some sort of evolution. Yeah. This is one of the few games that's ever came out where all I want is more of that first game just in a little bit of like a little prettier. Yeah. Like, I just want the same game sort of revamped in a little. Sure. Bit. Um, because in a this is going to be some very high praise because I've talked about how much I love the foreboding atmosphere of Bloodborne. Yes. I think that the dynamic of switching from day to night in Dying mm. Light evokes those same, like, high stress, but, like, you know, the visceral emotions that sort of Bloodborne you yeah. know, conve- conveys to me. Yes. And it's just, in- that first game, like, I don't care about the story. I don't care about the characters. Right. I use that to get from point A to point B. I care about the moment-to-moment gameplay and how that actually impacts me emotionally in a weird way of right you know it's not this the whacking zombies left and right it's it is you can like i don't think you, there's not a clock in your or a watch that you can look at in the game right, saying right. it's five o'clock the sun is going down yes if i don't get back to the base right now yeah i'm gonna get stuck out here and then it's not game over but it's game turned way up right it's almost in a weird way evocative of don't starve yeah, it's the, the same, same sort kind of mechanic of, where it's like sure, absolutely. I can see I can see the sun setting. Holy shit, I gotta yeah, get back to my camp. That's a great point. That's odd um, that those two games came up both in this podcast. Yeah, that's so interesting. But I I that makes me want to pick this game up 
again even more especially seeing this trailer seeing how promising it looks seeing how fun it looks like it looks like it prioritizes sort of the silliness and for a, sure in a zombie killing game that's pretty good um, like talking about like your insane parkour skills <laughs> yeah. or what's propelling you through the open world yeah and like oh the voiceover guy yeah and our good friend skinny is maybe the biggest dying light you know yeah stand he's been so hyped today in the world and i'm not too far behind him like dying light one is I don't want to say it's criminally underrated. It was a well-received game, but like, it's just one of those games that sticks out to me as a game that maybe maybe is because that first trailer for it years and years ago. I want to say that was in like 2014 or 2015. Mm-hmm. Was so awesome and just conveyed like that sense of going into next gen because that was early oh, right. PS4 yeah. era yeah, yeah, yeah. that enticed me so much and then paid off as being really great. Right, that I'm really just looking to recapture that same feeling. Yeah. And I'm really hoping this game delivers. It looks good. And I will say, I was going to make this joke. I'm just telling you it's a joke now. Because <laughs> it comes out on December 7th. Sure. And if it gets delayed, that will be a day that will live in infamy. Hey. Shout out to FDR. <laughs> big big ups. <laughs> Tanner, our last story. Yes. We also watched the... 20 minute long state of play yes. entirely dedicated to Horizon Forbidden West. Yes. We still don't know when it's coming out. Still no date. But we do know it looks pretty incredible. The visuals of this and we were we were uh, sort of in the best case scenario watching it on the new TV um, look legitimately impressive. Uh, there was a point where I non-ironically said the power of the PS5 <laughs> because in this gameplay demo so it's a longer demo than I was expecting you could argue maybe too long of a demo sure it was like 14 minutes straight gameplay there was no cutting there was no like oh and then in this section you do this it was like a 14 minute this was as vertical slice as you can get just like cut it out of the game entirely and show it to us um I guess not too dissimilar to the way they showed off God of War at E3 that one time. Maybe. But the funny, the thing about that is they had also done the same thing for Horizon like right. twice. Yes. You so know? we know what Horizon gameplay is like. This looks like an evolution of it. There's obviously a grappling hook. There's more verticality built into the world. Um, there's a lot more emphasis on that verticality and on movement in general. There's a paraglider that's like yeah. the cybernetic paraglider that we both kind of popped for. Uh, it looks... Like, they're making a lot of really cool improvements. I kept thinking throughout this gameplay trailer that Sony does a great job of not withholding some of the specialness of its franchises from other franchises. Because mm. there were moments in this game that I was reminded both of The Last of Us, or in the in the trailer, of The Last of Us 2 with sort of the stealth moving through the bushes stuff, and also... Ghost of Tsushima mm. uh, with the way the sort of the combat was playing and just the way they chose to film it and the setting you can definitely feel that it fits in with those other two games and sure. with the overall sort of action adventure pantheon that PlayStation is building um, but my main, my, take, my main takeaway so far is just the visuals the yeah, visuals look incredible they do um, and what I said to you earlier was my main hope for this game it was obvious that the technically it was going to be beyond impressive yes my hope was that, you know, things like the grappling hook and the glider and that sort of thing replace the sort of unnecessary, you know, like dialogue options and so- certain things sure. that made the first one feel 
less like just an open world action game and more like an RPG light. Yes. I'm like, I would be okay with them ripping out some of those elements wholesale yeah. and replacing them with more conveniences in the traversal and the gameplay and that sort of thing. That's my, that's what I'm rooting for. And that seems to be what they've indicated with what we just saw. Yeah. With the cutscenes in particular, we mentioned that the cutscenes of horizon, you and I both have sort of foggy memories of this game. Cause it's been what? When did that game come 2016? So it's been five years since 16 we played or 17. it. 16 um, or 17. I think it was... It was the same year as Breath uh, of the Wild. It was 17. Okay. Because Uncharted 4 was 2016. Okay, so it's still four years from... And it was early 2017. Yeah. Um, so you and I both remembered sort of the Bethesda-style camera shoots one character line, camera shoots other character line, camera shoots one character line, and it was very static. Yeah, and very like rigid facial animations. Yeah, like, it felt like playing Fallout or any of those Bethesda game cutscenes. And those aren't what you're... This is good for the thumbnail. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> uh, those aren't what you're there for. And it seems like they open with sort of a dynamic cutscene. There are several points where you talk to a character. They seem to, at least to our eye, make this a point of like hey the cutscenes have gotten better um and even if it's just what they showed us of like character talks to character and there's a little bit of clever and it's more of just a straight up cutscene. yeah that's all i need from this game yeah me too uh i'm very interested in the new setting they've teased it was hard to tell exactly what they were teasing with sort of the storm that was coming in but like the map that they pulled up that seemed to be pointing to a couple of other locations yeah i don't know what that was i don't really anticipate them actually like uprooting you and taking you somewhere else Nor do it I. seems like they've you know made this out to be you're pretty much exploring post-apocalyptic san, san francisco, francisco yeah for all intents and purposes um which is exciting too because the first one was great for its diversity in environments mm-hmm. you had your snow you had your city you had your desert you had your forest yeah but it would be cool to actually take you know full advantage of a city that is pretty well renowned to be able to explore it. Kind of like Spider-Man, you know, sure. you love exploring New York because it's New York. Yeah. This would be a cool take on that. Well, and something I pointed out to you is that in the first game, at least to my memory, they weren't as overt in, Oh, Hey, this used to be yeah. the United States. You had to dig to Partially learn where because that was the story, right? It was like, a, it was kind of a planet of the apes moment of like, wait, we're on earth. That kind of thing. Um, with this one in the trailer, it is way more overt. Like you see a building that literally says diner on it. Yeah. And there are, and you see the Transamerica building, which they've shown like a couple times. Mm, and you see like a trolley car and a bunch of just broken down, like what look like to be like Tesla cars or something like that. Like there's, it's obviously America and obviously the United States now and obviously San Francisco. And so I look forward to seeing how in a way they sort of last of us eyes it where they make all this stuff more built into the the greenery of the world but it's you know hundreds of years removed yeah i do i will say that i have slight worries about the story Mm. just because and it's it's obviously it's kind of hard to say but like there were really cool plot elements to the first game that were like sort of your mind-bending moments oh get it out the mark hits him too hard (laughs) i just went down the wrong pipe yeah that happens you're good go ahead uh but, th- like, there's something about it that just makes me nervous. Like, they didn't really build a really compelling antagonist in the first game. The, mm. It was all about the mystery of who is Aloy. Yeah. What, where do these people come from? Who are, who do they worship? Like, yeah, where, where am I? Where do these I? cults come from? Where, where am I? Uh, where did the machines come from? Right. And with a lot of those revelations that have already happened in the first game, we're probably both going to have to brush up on the <laughs> yeah, history I might replay of the first it, game. And I started it the other day, but, like, you know, I had sort of complaints about 
the lack of any good, you know, not like a full-on port, you know, capability per se, but it still was lacking in some ways. But I just really want to hope that they can reclaim that same plot twist, but maybe integrate Mm. it better with, like, make other characters involved that make me more invested. Like, they brought out this the one guy. Erend? Yeah. I think that was his From the Osaram. And I'm like, you could have died in the first game, and I probably wouldn't have remembered. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So... It's been so long. And for some reason, maybe it was the sort of boxy dialogue option thing. But that story has not stuck with me in a way that other games from before had. And I don't know what it is about Horizon specifically. Um, But the gameplay looks really, really good. They in, in, In this version, similar to one of the E3 demos where you fight some boss that's like destroying a little town. Um, you're fighting this elephant character. What was it called? Uh, something something tusk. tusk. Yeah, Tremor Tusk. Tremor that's Tusk. What it that's was. it. Um, and they're kind of they're kind of teasing that the new enemies can ride ride these uh, these creatures, and so three or four of them are atop of this big elephant thing. And the combat with that looked awesome. Yeah, it like, did look really the cool. way it was destroying the environment. That's when I jokingly said like the the power of PS5. Um, but it was, I mean, it had a hint of seriousness to, it, seriousness to it because it looks really, really promising in the same way the first one did. And I hope, like you said, that it can deliver in the elements we're not as sure about because the gameplay is going to be great and the visuals are going to be great. I just hope the story lives up to that. Yeah. And I, part of me is somewhat confident that they'll make it stick better this time just because yeah. you have to, okay, Horizon Zero Dawn being their first attempt at this whole new genre of game. Sure. They were getting their feet wet, learning how to make a game like this. They know now. Yeah. Now they can pour a little more of their effort into making sure the world is fully fleshed out with great characters and great right. story and that sort of thing. Yeah. But all in all, obviously I'm excited for it. Oh, like super optimistic. Beyond my like little, you know, sort of critiques of the first one, it's still a wonderful game. Yeah. And I'm very excited to play this one. As am I. Tanner, are you ready to move on to our big topic? I wasn't gonna. I started to ask. I started to do it, but I knew it might come. It ruins the fun. Jay, it is time for our podcast within the podcast. This is crazy shit I saw on Reset Era, and it's gonna touch on a story we've already touched on. Really? So this was a post about the PlayStation. Forty-one percent of oh okay uh, PS4 PS5 well, owners are now people who identify as women. Kind of think this can't, in. this can't go well. <laughs> so this is from user Carpet Salesman, who uh, whose name is struck through because they were banned for this. For this specifically, you assume? Yeah, I okay. assume because it says in the post, "user banned two weeks exclusionary rhetoric." Yeah, they say, in in reply to this post about forty-one percent of. Uh, Gamers who own the PS4, PS5 identify as women. I can't believe that's true. I think more women playing would be a good thing, but I can't see the split being that high unless they're using some kind of weird definition to get to that figure. Like, quote, has access to and has played on a console wholly owned by someone in their household, end quote. As I said, I think it'd be a good thing. I just don't think we're there yet. A couple couple things There's some logical leaps that are being jumped through. So their point, which is incredibly sexist, is that they play on, I assume their assumption is that they play on either their boyfriend or their brother or their husband's, some man in their family's PlayStation. Yeah. Which 
A, that's not the case. And B, even if it were, that would just be a percentage of this. Yeah. Because it the way they gather this information is just market research. They just poll a certain percentage and extrapolate it. Yeah. I answered, I got an email from Sony asking me, hey, you have a PS5. Can you give us some, some data about yeah. it? So I did like a 30-minute interview. It's just that ret large. Um, there's another user named Lee Ravis, also banned. Great. <laughs> Sounds a bit high to me. Maybe that percentage of women bought a console for one reason or another. Maybe for their spouse or kids. <laughs> I personally only know two females love... By the way, you can always tell someone's agenda by using the word females. <laughs> I personally only know two females who own and play a console and a ton of males. I wonder if that says more about you, Lee. Gaming boards are dominated by males and women... Or wait, gaming boards are dominated by males, yet women love social media. <laughs> where are all these... Where are all these female gamers? Okay. <laughs> the most obvious retort of all time is they don't want to talk to you. Exactly. <laughs> First of all, I am not shocked that people have better things to do with their time than spend time on Reset Era. Yeah. Uh, second of all, have you been on Twitch? Like, I I know and am probably friends with maybe even more women streamers than men streamers. It's all just about, like, the circles you're in. And the fucking double standard here of, oh, wait, women can't own PlayStations. But also, when women are on Twitch, oh, they're just there to be what titty streamers or whatever mm. and they're not actually into gaming what's well, like here are evidence of women who are into gaming in both sides and yet you're still coming up with these backwards avenues to say they aren't it's yeah. just gatekeeping frustrates the hell to me i will say i saw this post on reset air and i was like all right there's gonna be some people 90 percent of the posts were like this is awesome love to see this like most of Reset Era was really celebratory of this. This is just two people who yeah, are asked. This is when you, on Reddit, when you sort by controversial. Uh, this <laughs> exactly. is what This is what comes up. Exactly, yeah. Um, and it's just funny to me for them to be like, you know, Sony is telling me this. <laughs> they don't know. I don't think that they, the sellers of this console, know what they're talking about. <laughs> who would be inversely I know infected. two females. <laughs> yeah. And... There are a lot more females than that, you know. <laughs> the two I talk to play games, but yeah, really. I don't know more than two, and I am the epicenter of video games. It's like, come on. Yeah, that's just, eh. Internet gonna internet. I'm glad that person is not my friend. <laughs> yes, agreed. Yeah. Nor could I, could I draw a direct comparison from one of my friends to that <laughs> to person. To that person, yeah. So, now Tanner, shall we move on? We shall. To what I've dubbed the Returnal Dissection. Because mm. we could talk about this as the discussion. Yeah. But there's a lot of things that are not exactly set in stone about this game. Yeah. And the way you said we're going to talk a little bit, you have some things you want to talk about that aren't diving deep into the spoilers. Right. But we will get into some spoilers, but we will make it very clear when we're about to do that. Sure, yeah. So uh, the title of this is probably our final Returnal Review and Spoiler Cast. Um, at some point, we will give you as much of a warning as we can, saying from this point forward, we're going to spoil stuff. If you haven't beaten the game, don't listen. Um, that is not yet. I want to touch on, because I finished the game this week, and I just want to touch on some of the things that should be celebrated about this game. Um, I made a little list here. Love uh, to hear it. First of all, just the overall gameplay. is just, oh. There are few games that I've played that for a shooter have felt this fluid 
and felt this good. I mean, Call of Duty always gets uh, recognition, appropriately so, of how good their gameplay feels. This is, in a different way, feels as good. Definitely. Um, feels almost more like... Obviously, you can see... Housemark is incredible, incredibly impressive with this game to me. Because before this, they obviously made like Dead Nation, Alien Nation, Resogun. You can see that DNA when you play this you game. You really can. There is a lot of bullet storm built into this, not bullet storm the game, but like bullet hell type bullet stuff hell, yeah. <laughs> um, built into this game. And even as someone who loves Resogun, you can feel the projectiles of the Resogun enemies m- somehow moved into a 3D space. Yeah. It reminds me in a very weird way of the jump from Link to the Past to Ocarina of Time, where there's so many mechanics and rooms and enemy types that you go, oh, that's how they're doing this in 3D. They yeah. did this in Link to the Past. Because in a weird way, I think this is one of the more underrated things about Ocarina, it's almost a Link to the Past remaster. Like, it's not exact, but they borrow several mechanics from Link to the yeah. Past. Um, hmm. And so I'm so glad I played Link to the Past before I played Ocarina, in the same way that I'm glad I played Resogun before I played this, because you can see that DNA of Housemark. They didn't just come out of nowhere. <laughs> Granted, they they are doing things they've never done before with the way this game plays and looks and feels, but it's cool to just see that DNA built into it. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Um, going this far down is to say, like, it feels good, and this is like this is a very nitpicky thing. And obviously, I've talked to you know, some of the praises of this game. Sure. One thing I never mentioned: I love how fast you run. Mm. Just movement without shooting yeah. feels really good. You move quickly. It doesn't feel sluggish point. at all. You get a very quickly, you know, uh, respawning dash mechanic. Like, yes. you can dash constantly. You're jumping. You're grappling. All this sort of things. Movement even without shooting feels wonderful in this game. And that's oh, yeah. something that, you know, as a lover of, like, Spider-Man, and you can swing around New York all day and it feels great just because the traversal is done so well. This game does that mm. for a third-person shooter maybe better than any other I've ever yeah. played. Totally agreed. And it's really important to the setup of this game where, you know, you're running. I assume if you're listening to this, you know, at least a little bit about Returnal is because we've talked about it a lot. And, you know, the trailers are out there. But even just for the gameplay of depending on how you want to play through levels, you might be running through the the same biome over and over again mm-hmm. to go back to go to a side door, go back to the fabricator station or whatever. And they... I, I imagine that was deliberate and like people aren't want, aren't going to want to spend time retracing their footsteps. Let's make them as fast as we can. Yeah. And then that was built out into the gameplay as well. So that's really good. Yeah. Another thing I want to highlight is the music. Um, wasn't something because I don't really remember the music from any other Housemark games. I'm not sure if they brought in a new team, if it was the same people. I don't, I don't know. But this music is kind of central to the game in a way that I didn't expect. Especially at one point. Which sure. We'll talk, about. we'll talk about that later. But. Even just sort of the, I hate to compare all synth music to Stranger Things, but <laughs> it does have sort of, Survive is the name of the group that made uh, Stranger Things music. It has that sort of echoey, creepy Haunting. synth yeah. vibe going on in, in a really nice way. It blends so well with sort of the alien environment, the sort of high tech meets low tech v- atmosphere of the game. Um, obviously, the music is built into certain moments of the game, which we'll talk about again later. I always love when music is built in and integral to that. And then another comparison that I did not expect to Hades, where in Hades there is uh, the music... Supergiant always loves building music into their into their game. Mm. Um, and there are a couple of characters who 
like Orpheus is in Hades and he is like a musician. Right. Um, and then there are a couple other musicians in the game. Just building that in and making that feel more part of that world, it feels amazing. I, I think this music is one of those things that you may not notice when you play it, but then, well, you'll notice it at some points, but when you think about it, you're like, oh yeah, this soundtrack's dope. Yeah, even outside of the big context that we were mentioning, yeah, just the entry into some of the other, and the bosses is when I notice it the most. Sure, yeah. And, you know, dropping in and sort of the foreboding, like, you know, crescendos of music that sort of accompany like the intro to a boss fight and sort of it's just it really encompasses the spirit of the game where like it's been quiet 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 and then done like bam yeah you're confronted with this enemy especially if you've never fought him before and you're diving right. in for the first time that really swells you and sort of hypes you up it's like all right time to do this and if i don't do this i have a lot that i'm gonna have to do over again so it really pumps yeah. you up and it's cool too because it a lot of this game is very cinematic. In that regard, it feels incredibly cinematic, right? Like you're going this boss fight and the music just swells and now it's like, oh shit, yeah. we have entered another level of intense. When this game, you could argue, is intense the full way through, like every hit you feel in this game, you're like, fuck, I shouldn't have gotten uh. hit there. Like every hit you take, you're like, damn it, I wish I had yeah. not gotten hit. Because with, with exception to some things in the late game, pretty much everything is dodgeable. Yeah. And so, I mean, even there are things late game that are dodgeable, but not in the ways you're taught throughout the rest of the game. So every mistake you make, you feel for the entirety of the run, uh, which is part of the, the the great gameplay design. We might get into that later, too. But another thing I just want to highlight, the boss design in this game. I like was, aesthetic design or actually the No, like the gameplay the fight design. design. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, the aesthetic design is great. Sure. <laughs> um, and that's great for the whole game, but... I was not expecting, granted, tough boss fights get compared to Souls games too often. That is a known. But I was not expecting this level of difficulty for the boss fights from this game. And the feeling of beating a boss in this game was euphoric. Definitely. Especially because they are so smart. This game is structured, you know, it's a roguelite. You go through it technically in one shot, although that's not true. Um... They structure it in such a way where you beat a boss, you don't have to beat him again. It's not like Hades where you beat th- three boss fights throughout every run. Now, granted, Hades is much shorter than, than Returnal, um, and that's you're just expecting that in each run. But the shortcut element of beating a boss fight really makes the time you beat it feel so important. Um, and each boss design is really unique. Um, like, I... Which I guess really unique is redundant, but... Each boss design is very unique, and granted, there are a smaller number of bosses, but they all they do a good job of making them all feel part of the same universe and sort of part of the same structure, but they're all very different in my, in my mind. Yeah, and that justifies the difficulty for, yes. you know, beating them, not having to do it again. Like, a game like Hades, I couldn't imagine three bosses you have to beat every time that are on the level of some of the bosses in Returnal difficulty-wise. Sure. Like, that's... Yeah incredibly punishing that would be yeah as someone who has very rarely ever ventured ventured into like boss rush modes in any kind of game yeah that seems very daunting to me sure um so yeah i agree with you that it's interesting for me because obviously this game is like a bullet hell made into a 3d format yeah most of the bosses that i've ever encountered in you know sort of third person action games are melee based Mm. it's it was very interesting and new to fight enemies that were so like projectile based yeah and it was a really cool thing to have to adapt to 
and you know sort of the iframes that come along with dashes in the game you know make you learn how you can dodge through and when you can attack and certain right. strategies that it was a really cool new learning curve that yes i had to adapt to but it was a blast and i i think this game does about as good a job of without getting too spoiler we'll get to that later about a good job as the there are certain moments in games they're very few and far between but when you have insanely fun chaos and I feel like that's the best moments that in is this a game, gr- that's a great way to put it where you're just in a boss fight and you're processing it but you know especially to me on stream because I'm having to talk and a lot of times in these boss fights I would just be like yeah. <laughs> like I couldn't even make anything other than noises at the absolute chaos of these fights. There's and a point that I that I know to reference later now. Mm, but there's so many projectiles on screen, but yet it never feels out of hand. You sure, never feel nothing sure. ever feels insurmountable in this game. Um and that is another just credit to them and their their gameplay design. Yeah. Next up, something that I haven't seen celebrated as much at least on like socials of this. The weapon variety. Yeah. They do a great job of making Go ahead. Well, you know, you go ahead and I'll make a point. They do a great job of making multiple guns feel incredible in this game. Um, so starting out, you have your pistol and then you can pick up. I think in the first biome you get like basically what amounts to an assault rifle, a shotgun. That might just be it. It might be those three. Yeah, I don't at remember the beginning. That. And I think it's to a certain degree randomized yes, like when but, you get new weapons. Because I found a gun. Uh, I think it was the electro pylon driver that you and I both love. Um, which Love is it. one of the most unique guns I've ever experienced in any game. Like, I don't, I don't have a direct comparison to this gun. No. And it's fantastic. It's so good. Um, but I found that, and I was streaming it, of course. Someone mentioned, I've beaten the game, and I just found that gun. I was like, oh, interesting. Okay, so... That would suck. Yeah, it would suck, because that's, that's how I beat the it's final very boss. very effective. Um, but, yeah, they do a great job. Granted, the shotgun, not very viable, in my opinion. I'm not a fan of the Spit Maw Blaster. Um, except it maybe in the moments. first biome, but I think it is good against normal enemies, not bosses. Sure, that's, that's my fa- take that's for fair. that. But especially once you get to like the biomes that have more flying enemies, it's yeah. like okay, you're too far away. Um, but other than that, this game because you can pick up several weapons in one run. It's not like Hades or some other roguelites where you're tied to one weapon the whole time. And so when you when you find a new gun in most cases if it's a level up or a damage up or whatever you pick it up usually because you can adapt to the gun and take the benefits of the damage upgrade now granted if it's like one level and you're really liking the gun you have you might stay with it but um i just thought the weapon variety in this feels great there wasn't a time obviously we could tier list the guns we like most but you know if i had a level 15 gun and i saw a level 20 gun i'm taking it no matter what it is. I will say that, yeah, we could tier list them, blah, blah, yeah. blah. But I do think there is a pretty strong gradient between the good guns and the bad guns. There That's are fair. a certain, I would say maybe one, two, four to five guns that I think are very viable, useful in almost any situation. Okay. And a couple that I just think are universally less useful. Okay. And we'll get into more of that when in we get into sort part, of talking yeah. about more of them. I want to see what yours are. Uh, the atmosphere of this game uh, it, in a similar way to we talked about in Control where the best character of that game is the oldest house the building you're in I wouldn't say the best character of this game is the planet but it's definitely one of the best characters yeah um, well, what's the planet called? Atropos I thought it was Atropos I couldn't remember um, so the just the world this exists in I'm gonna go ahead and tie in the next one I have which is the visuals as sure. well 
the way they've created with the music, with the sound design, which is incredible in this game, by the way, um, with the visuals, it's unlike any other game I've played. Obviously, it has reference to like Aliens. The movie is is something people reference a lot. Um, it has reference to other sci-fi franchises, but the sort of hybrid between a lot of the enemies are somewhere on you could kind of make a three circle Venn diagram of like hell spawn demons <laughs> aliens robots yeah and I would say most most of the enemies in in Returnal fall in one of those three but the way they build enemies out between those three is really fascinating and the fact that they're like in almost sort of a destiny way these sort of different races on sure. the planet and the way they work together and, and oppose each other there's a lot of work that went into just building the atmosphere. I would not be surprised if there's like a Bible of this game where it's like, you know, this is what happened in this century. They might have like a full history that they can dive deeper into later. But I just, I love the atmosphere of this game. It feels unlike any other game I've, play, I've yeah, ever played. And that's another well, one thing, it, sort of the comparison that immediately came to mind when you started talking about that. It sort of feels like those 4D arcade booths you would get into where you're feeling like the wind, and then all of a sudden, enemy pops out. You're shooting them. It's right. about as close as you can get that because the dual sense, obviously. Oh yeah. You know, you're bringing in the rain, and you're bringing in other senses, and then all of a sudden, you know, a few enemies pop in, and you're like turning and shooting them. It has arcade influences, mm. even outside of the, you know, prior Housemark IPs. Right. That it's sort of bringing in that point. same feel. Um, yeah. And hard to talk about some of the enemy variety, but because I, I want to get into that into spoilery talk as well. Okay, I, I will say not th- not something I thought to write down, but a total brilliant point on your part. The this is the best integration so far we've seen of the Dual Sense, without a doubt. I would not want to play this game on PS4. And I mean, I would, but it would certainly be a little be lesser, lesser experience. experience. Yeah, and I I mean, imagine there were moments in this game I was surprised at how technically proficient this game was because at, at moments depending on the amount of enemies on screen amount of projectiles on screen there can be a lot happening for sure like a lot a lot and i was surprised i had a couple slight moments of chug but those were very almost indiscernible like it, the fact that there were so many enemies on screen so many projectiles on screen and it still just ran like a machine wasn't was it was so impressive yeah and i don't even know if i had like gameplay chug i just had other glitches you know that yeah we could talk about the but, bugginess is one of the about. detractors of this game but but it's not even that much because it's not taking away from the gameplay so much as it is just the i don't know the convenience of the game in a weird sure. way but plenty more to talk about yes especially if we want to get into spoilers the last thing i have i'm gonna hold my hand here is to talk about the story so from now on if you have not played returnal if you've not finished returnal if you've not super finished Returnal. That's a um, good point. Avoid talking now. So, to be clear, uh, I'm working on the the sort of bonus ending, I guess you could call it, of this game. Uh, and it's kind of random whether you can get those pieces or not. I've not gotten all the pieces to trigger that ending yet. I went ahead and watched it in the sake of this conversation because I thought this might be the last time we really have a chance to talk about it. Um, so, I will unlock that before anyone gets mad at me. But I've seen the sort of bonus ending. So if you have not yet, now is time to go. We love you. Thank you for yeah. listening. Unless you just really don't care. That's but, true. You know. It's spoiler cast time. All right. Now. Yes. All right. You you get come at me because I've been in this game a lot longer. So sure. what are you thinking? So, oh, I should have said this game took me 30 hours to beat. To I'd, beat? I, yes. Okay. To finish. Um, now, granted... I know you said what it took you twenty hours. 20, yeah. Not a surprise. You're better at shooters than I am, especially on console. 
Uh, also, it's a good rule of thumb to add two or three hours when streaming. Sure. Or like 10, 20%, whatever, because you're slowing down to talk to chat and you're processing it all differently. But 30 hours, I'm fine with that. Overall, I think it's a fine mark to beat it at. No, I think I was seeing like people that like were, I get, I don't know what average is of how good these people, but like yeah. late 20s hours is sort of what I was seeing. Yeah, that makes sense. So, complete spoilers out the window. What the fuck is going on in this story? So, it's not entirely obvious. Right. Um, so, I have my theory. So, let's break down both endings okay. and sort of dissect that. Sure. So, uh, yeah, throughout the game, you you start in like a forest area and you beat the first biome, which, or the, the first biome, the boss of which is Frike. Then you go to the second biome, which is sort of this deserty kind of biome. Yeah, it looks like Mars. Yes. You beat that boss whose name is... Ixium. Good job. I think I remember them all. Uh, and then you go to the third biome, which... What does the third biome look the like? The Derelict Citadel. It's sort of like their oh, ruined the, the capital city, area. like something yeah. to that effect. Yeah, so it's, it's kind of like a lot of architecture, a lot of like pillars that have broken down, sort of a post-apocalyptic looking thing. Then you fight that boss. Nemesis. Which is the hardest boss, in my opinion. It's, a, it, without a doubt, the craziest. It's it's wild. It's super chaotic. Very cinematic. Awesome boss fight. Uh, and then a moment in the game happens that yeah, is pretty is pivotal. For sure. So you beat this third boss. You get sort of... The whole game, you've been chasing something called the White Shadow. Yeah, which is like a distress signal or something. Yeah, some something pushing you further into exploring this area or exploring this planet rather and you beat this boss and I think you sit down right doesn't Selene just like take she a seat yeah and she like gets the message it's like distress signal acquired Astra extraction like yeah, on the way in place yeah. and then it shows this hallway that you entered to beat this boss and there's a white light coming out of it you're like oh that's the white shadow I don't think that is the white shadow no. but that's a false reveal uh, so you get you get rescued, yeah. quote unquote. You're on uh, from uh, from what the game gives you, and I I have not read anything else outside of what I've interpreted. Yeah, I want my interpretation. I haven't to be read around. everything that I've read. Just seems to be interpretations. There sure. does not seem to be a concrete. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but you have this distress signal or this uh, uh savior signal, and then you come back to this planet after being on Earth for sixty three years and eight days. Yeah. And you die. Effect. It seems to imply that you die on Earth. You've Celine has lived to be a ripe old age. Yes. Dies. Wakes up back on Atropos. Which sixty three years and eight days is eight thirty six backwards. Yes. Which we'll get into as well. Uh, so then, I think right after that, you are shown a scene in the house. So I guess we should talk about the house. So yeah. <laughs> throughout the game, you come across. What I think they describe as a 20th century house. That's exactly what they say. Uh, in uh, just in ran in a random room, there will just be a teleporter in this house, and you can go into it. I believe six times, something like that. And the only times you can go into it are when the lights are on, yeah. <laughs> which is a cool little like. Because when they're not on, it's like overgrown with like grass and yeah, moss and sort it's of like things. You can't. When enter. the lights are on, it just looks clean. It looks like a Kansas house. It looks yeah. like Superman's house in Manistee. Exactly. That's exactly the kind of house it looks like. And in this particular, a lot of the house scenes are sort of 
I would say PT inspired. It's certainly the most like horror yeah. or, or psychological horror elements of the whole game. You're walking through this house. It's creepy. You pick up random things. There's a book you can read, uh, which I'm sure has more to do with the story than I've realized. Uh, I've not gone back and read or read what the book says, but you know, each of those little, they're almost like mini cutscenes or mini story snippets. Yeah. Those just end by coming out of the house. Usually you'll get something for your run. You move on. This scene is maybe the most pivotal scene for me and my theory of what this game is in the entire game, which is you see a kid in this house playing Returnal on a PS5. Yeah, or like you look it up and on the TV is Celine standing outside of the house just just standing there. Yes. And you're holding a dual sense and you right. see a PlayStation 5, yeah. And so this little kid... Uh, walks around the house basically saying like where's my mom that kind of stuff and then alluding to sort of a monster um, or just like I gotta hide or I may be confusing a couple of them I may be fusing them a little bit but basically this kid's kind of scared of something you're picking up a stuffed octopus at one point um, Octo. yeah there's like a little uh, astronaut figurine which is important to the runs there's all this stuff going on I forget how that one ends. Well, you go into the kitchen. You have cereal with an astronaut. You tell him the story. Right, that you can pick the dialogue it, options. You of. don't really know. Yeah. Um, and then you leave out of there, and I think you go back upstairs. And that's, yeah, that's the one where, like, you go back to the bedroom, you find Octo or whatever, and then you turn and the astronaut's there, and then the tentacles come out of his its face. Right, okay, yes. Uh, so then you get another cutscene with the kid later in the game. Where you're kind of, I forget exactly, the kid's looking for Octo. That's what it is. They're like, Octo, where are you, Octo? We need to hide. And so you eventually find Octo in the dining room, wherever. And you get inside the television. TV, yeah. And then the astronaut shows up and like. Reaches Extends into, yeah, extends into the television. This is all, I think, important. Um, So then the ending of the game, you, you, when you come back from the 63 years, I'm doing air quotes for the video version. When you come back from the 63 years, you go through what I would assume, which what I would describe as basically palette swapped versions of the biomes. Again. Yes, exactly. So like the third biome, at least or, the first two. Yeah, the fourth biome is the first biome. Just looks a little bit different. Um, it's daytime or like something. It's a little more overgrown. Yeah, uh, it's called the overgrown ruins. The second oh, time, I forget what it's called the first time. Uh, and then the 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 fifth biome, which is the second biome again, instead of being a desert, it's now frozen over. Yeah. Uh, maybe hell has frozen over. And then the sixth biome, the sixth biome, is underwater as opposed to uh, sort the of this abyssal scar. Yeah. Great name. It is. It is a really cool. Yeah. All the area names are really cool. Yeah. Uh, and then you fight you fight bosses throughout this. The fourth boss is the what I consider Hyperion. one of the coolest boss designs I've ever seen which is a boss at an organ that is made of like plant like yeah. fauna uh, or flora flora yeah and playing a sort of revamped version of the lick from Don't Fear the Reaper yeah earlier in an audio log Celine finds uh, one of the audio logs of other Celine quoting Don't Fear the Reaper it's one of my favorite moments in the whole game it's very cool well when she's like all our time has come here, but now we're gone. I'm like, that's a lyric. Yeah. You can see me. I was like, I know that's a lyric. Well, to something. yeah. Like coming back, you know, the 63 years later and I was like, oh my God, 
I part of me thought I'd beaten the game, but then no, you're back. Um, and then yeah. you pick up that audio log, and like the last line of whatever audio log that I picked up, and she's just like, "Seasons don't fear the reaper," and I was, just, and that's all she said. I was just like, <laughs> I thought, and it, I guess you could say it was sort of foreshadowing a boss fight that was reaper esque. Yeah, I think more that's talking about the last boss if you had to mm, pick. Yeah, um, but just the forebodingness of that message was so cool I yeah, loved it it was very very good and then you get to the boss the whole time in the third biome you're cha- or the fourth biome sorry you're chasing this music it's getting louder, louder. and louder as you go Ugh. up and then you get to the boss and it's this this creature uh, playing this organ playing a riff from Don't Fear the Reaper all of its attacks are out of its back while it's it, this boss is playing its own boss music it's so fucking cool I love this boss fight so much Granted, it does come away from the organ every now and then and attack you, but um, what an amazing boss fight. And then you go to the... What is the boss of the fifth? Oh, the there fifth is biome no doesn't boss. have a boss. That's right. That's what I said. The boss was the Hadal keys you collected along the way. <laughs> right. So fifth <laughs> biome is structured in... There are sort of three branching paths. You have to finish each of them to open the door to go to the sixth in biome. In one run. You which is to, maybe the hardest thing in the entire I game. I think it is. Um, specifically that gauntlet area. That gauntlet area yeah, is it's incredibly tough. tough. Uh, so then you finish that, you go to the sixth boss, you go underwater, which is going to play a big part in the story of this game. Which, did you ever notice that there's no uh, checkpoint of any kind? You uh, Every single time you have to run through the entirety of the sixth biome like to mm, get to the boss. That's a good point. Well, is it not a shortcut to be able to shoot the orbs? Is that Would you consider that a shortcut? Because you have to go bite, fight that mini boss. I guess that's kind of true. But it, you're right. You do have to go through the entirety of the sixth one again, as opposed to a lot of times it would be like a Souls game where there's a gateway you could open, basically. Yeah. Like the bridge in the in the third biome, that kind of stuff. There wasn't one of those. No. Um, uh, you didn't have to collect that one key again. So I guess there is a little bit. But yeah, but not a lot. No. It's, it's a lot harder of that's an area. That's certainly the longest biome you ever had to go through in one run. Agreed. Um, and then you fight the final boss. Ophion. Uh, good job remembering all these. Yeah, thank you. There are uh, only five, <laughs> but I, I didn't remember. I, the only one I remembered was Nemesis. That was the and Frank, which is the first one. Um, but this guy is very interesting. Do you yeah, want to describe like, him? Like, so picture like a giant tentacle monster, like huge, like mucosal tentacles. Mucosal coming, coming out of like covered in mucus. I think so. That's a cool word. Coming word. out of like a hole underwater, but then its face is a giant skull. Yeah. basically. Yeah, it's like it's almost Lovecraftian. It is very it, Lovecraftian in its, its design. Um, and then you have to shoot these eyes that appear in order to be able to damage it. You do that fight oh, on your, or actually after that fight, you see a car. Yeah. Um, Which is the impetus of the secret ending. Right. But then you uncover the ending of the game, which is... So we're talking about the first ending right now. Yeah. Again, if you haven't left yet, you probably don't care about spoilers, so I'm just going to keep going. You you enter on sort of a a woody area, very similar to the first woody area you see when when your uh, ship crashes. You see a child in the backseat of a car holding a stuffed octopus wearing the watch that you see the kid wearing in those cutscenes. it's obviously the same kid and the first thing that the first line of dialogue is do you see the white shadow do you see the white shadow and it pans to or it kind of pulls out to a woman driving a car now there is some debate on whether this is Celine or not she looks 
strikingly like, like Celine. Celine. I choose to believe this is Celine. Okay. I have watched, so I watched the ending on stream. Some people were like, oh no, that's Celine's mom, the kid's Celine, whatever. I was like, that looks like Celine to me. And they were like, well, it's her mom. She should. And I was like, well, okay. I've watched it back again. I think it's Celine. Okay. Um, it's up to interpretation because the, even the closed captions are very smart about this. They say child and mom. That's all they say. They don't say, you know, kid and Celine, whatever. Yeah. So she's driving along. It shows the radio. The time is 836. 836 has appeared in multiple cutscenes. A lot of the house scenes, 836 has been a big thing. It's like the time on the microwave. If you microwave your dinner for eight minutes and 36 seconds, everything's going to be just fine. <laughs> just just fine. It's good. Uh, some like news press conference thing happens at 836. 836 has been a big thing. And she's tuning the radio and Don't Fear the Reaper comes on. They're driving throughout this, you know, this wooded area. They come to a bridge. They see the uh, sort of, I don't know what, this will be up to interpretation. Sure. They see an astronaut in full astronaut gear, which has been sort of the monster of the house scenes. Uh, The woman driving the car swerves to miss the astronaut, drives off a bridge, lands in the water. Underwater, she is knocked out. A red light flashes on her face. It shows like this giant tentacle beast monster thing yeah. with three red eyes, which you have seen alluded to in the game before. If you like rest in the plane and or rest in the ship, um, that red light wakes her up. She unbuckles. She reaches for the kid to try to unbuckle her, and something pulls her out, not being able to reach her kid. And I think that's where the first cutscene ends. And then you wake back up on a tropos oh, actually, or the credits roll. Uh. As it's pulling her out, it shows the view of the moon from underneath the water. Oh, yeah, as if she's about to resurface right. and then she gets pulled back down. Yes. Um, so that's how the first ending goes. Do you want to describe the bonus ending? So the bonus ending, which did you see the house sequence that led up to the bonus ending? I don't know that I did. I don't remember all the details, and it's not as in-depth as the other ones, but the basis of it is that you go through and you finally get to go down the stairs into that oh, like, okay. area that's sort of been walled off. Yeah, I didn't see But that. as soon as you're like about to get there, you wake back up as Celine outside the house, but you look at your hand and you have car keys. Okay. So then you go through the whole game again. You beat Ophion again, which you have to do to reaccess the ending. Yeah. And the car that you see the first time at the bottom of the ocean which is kind of odd, obviously. Yeah. This time you have the keys and you can go up to the car and you can open the door. Right. And when you go to open the door, it sort of cuts and you are Celine and you are walking up to a very creepy looking, I don't even know how to describe, like sort of dilap- like desiccated pregnant creature in a wheelchair. In a wheelchair. Yeah. It looks like a woman... But if they did like a Scooby Doo makeup to make her scary, like it's it's basically a woman, but it's just a skull and sort of the last remnants of her flesh, except with, very clearly pregnant, with a pregnant belly and tentacles for appendages, yeah, and hair. With the uh, subtitles labeling her as Thea or Taya or however yeah, you want to yeah. pronounce it, which is Celine's mom. You come right. to find out, yes. So this is Celine's mom, and she reaches up, and she, like, grabs you by the neck or whatever, and she's just like, you know, Celine, like, whatever. And Celine is able to, like, push her off and sort of say, like, get off of me. I don't remember exactly the lines yeah, of dialogue, she, which are not super important. Right. She's like, I've told you to leave me alone or something like that. And then it cuts, and 
all of a sudden you're sort of Celine again and you're sort of looking around and then you look down and you see your hands and it's puffy white, you know, and you realize you're in the astronaut outfit. Right, you're finally in the astronaut outfit. And it, you've, your visor turns and you look over and you see the car coming at you, which then swerves off the road. Right. Implying that Celine was in the astronaut outfit in this ending, at least. Right. Which is up for, you know, which can be interpreted in different ways. Yes. Um, which is pretty much it. That's pretty much the end of the second ending, except that when the, the credits cut, it actually plays Don't Fear the Reaper full on, which I loved. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. But... Uh, the only other thing from the last bonus ending, and I just know this because mm. I just watched it, mm. um, you still see the crash happen. Oh yeah, you're right. And then at the very, you see someone swimming up to the water as opposed to just the shot of the moon. The shot of the moon's still there, but then you see someone swimming up to the surface, and you hear like she a breaches, <gasps> like that kind of breathing, and then goes Helios, Helios, which is the name of the ship, maybe also the name of the kid, maybe, uh, which is my sort of theory. Okay. So, what are you, what is your theory on the ending in this game? I can't really nail down exactly what I think is going on. The only thing you can say, I think, with 100% certainty is that the events on Atropos do not actually happen. Mm. Like, mainly because I think the most concrete thing is, you really think this giant plant-like alien is playing Don't Fear the Reaper <laughs> on an organ? <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. So, we're left to conclude that what Celine interprets as her experiences on Atropos are sort of her coming to grips with the events of this car accident. Yes. The abyssal scar very clearly being the underwater, like last scene being her version of going underwater in the car, like right. you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Then I I still cannot decide whether I think Celine was driving the car or not. Mm. What do you think? Okay, so here's my thought. I've gone full I'm going to get as, as like nebulous as I can here. So yeah. here's my theory. I think Celine was driving the car. She has a kid named Helios. Uh, I'm not sure if the kid survives the crash or not. I almost think the kid survives. Um, my overall theory is that obviously what we play in Returnal is the result of several traumas of Celine. Yeah. Uh, there are obviously some with her mother and some with uh, her kid. I think that when she swerved off the road, the astronaut was never actually there. I think this is, I think the astronaut, because we know from other audio logs, from the house scenes, that her mom was an actual astronaut. Yeah. I think her vision of the astronaut is the sort of, uh, expectations laid upon her by her mom. I think that's a good sort of summation of best case theory. Right. Is that, yes, the astronaut is sort of her vilified image of her mom. Yes. And sort of, yeah, she sort of sees this everywhere. Like she has her expectations that her mom had put upon her. Yeah. I don't think, th I think the only reasonable you know, explanation for why she would go through the grief of the story is that the child was probably killed in the mm. car accident. Um, but I, I don't know. It's just so weird for her to like breach and say Helios and like, would she really name her kid Helios? I don't know. It's this, but they're all named like her mom's name is Tia. Well, everything in the, every name. I don't know if you looked at this is a Greek. It's all Greek. Yeah. yeah. And they all have pretty specific meanings that correlate to the versions of the characters, even the bosses. Mm. So my thought 
and maybe this is me being too stubborn and sticking to an earlier theory I had. So the moment when you play as the kid and you realize you're playing a PlayStation and you're playing Returnal. Yeah. My interpretation of that was that the kid, his mom, Celine, or their mom, I don't know. I was going to say, I don't think it's ever defined. It's ambiguous, right? I always assumed it was a girl. Yeah, because it does have a. But kids' voices are so hard to tell anyway. Sure. So the kid, we'll just say the kid, uh, they, they are playing the PlayStation. My idea is that Celine, in an effort to live up to the expectations of her mom of being an astronaut, there's, a, there's an audio log that says something like, I knew it was a one-way mission, yeah. right? Which means she's not coming back. My idea of what we see in Returnal is the kid imagining that Celine has gone to this expect- expedition and has died in some way. And this kid is creating this narrative in their head of, my mom couldn't have died, so she must be stuck on this planet with this time loop, and here's all pulling all in the trauma. Now, with the added parts of the ending... Is it more likely that Celine lived and the kid died? Probably. Um, but even then, it's it's it does something in my last note of like things I think should be celebrated about this game that I think all what really sets apart great horror from okay horror to me is when the horror is actually a metaphor for something else, mm. right? It follows as one of my favorite horror movies ever because it's a metaphor for STDs and like uh, the Babadook is a metaphor for mental health, like all that kind of stuff. This is obviously a metaphor for trauma, um, and I think that's what set this this game apart. However you interpret the endings, I think, like you said, there are some agree upon things. One being the stuff on Atropos probably didn't actually happen, or Tropos, however you say it. And most of the enemy types and, and environmental stuff that we see are from one trauma or another. Yeah, and a lot of people I've seen talk about the, the fact that so many, obviously not all, of the enemies that you find on Atropos are tentacled, like, mm. abominations are just, like, twisted versions of Octo being, True. like, an interesting, like, interpretation of, like, Octo yeah. as, like, a character. Well, they even reference throughout the game, like, this sort of evil squid. Yeah. It's one of the games, or it's one of the things that you can reference in the story you tell the astronaut. There's some audio log or the book or one of those things reference, like, a huge squid as well. So yeah, I mean, and I want to read more about the severed, which are the sort of demonic enemies that mm. are like humanoid but have horns. Like you find a lot of them in the second and third biomes. The ones that look like doom enemies. Yeah, pretty much. Um I need to read more about like cuz there are a lot of a lot of the logs and sort of things you can find in the game talk specifically about the severed yeah. like as a species. Um one little point that I want to talk about. Okay. is just how Celine looks compared to how the driver of the car looks. Okay. So Celine, if you look at like the cover art of the game, is heterochromatic in her eye color. She right. has one two different color eyes yeah. and she's blonde. Yeah. But every other feature, she is featured the exact same as the driver. Which leads me to think that the driver is probably more likely than not Celine. Okay. And this is sort of her sort of overly dramatized image of herself Mm. on this planet as an astronaut in the future, living up to like her mom's sort of image. Right. You know, because like the odds that the kid, if the kid is Celine and the driver is the mom. Yeah. Then the odds of her growing up to look exactly features other than the hair color and eye color, exactly like the mom are just not really realistic. So 
that leads me to think that the version of Celine that we see inside the spacesuit is not exactly how Celine actually looks. Right. Um, she sort of made herself look more interesting in like certain ways yeah, in the way that she's sort of interpreting these events. Yeah. Which I think is just another little wrinkle that I think is interesting. No, it's cool. I wonder if that is a result of certain trauma as well. I wonder if in a, in this in the world that we're both living in where uh Atropos is imagined. Yeah. I wonder if this is Celine imagining herself different enough from her mother to be like, "Oh, well I wasn't like mom. I had blonde hair." And I you know what I mean? So yeah. I, I know I know some people are probably going to take a more direct approach to this and say like, oh, there are different timelines and, you know, she is both the astronaut and the driver, whatever. I I love it more as like this never fucking happened. And yeah, I would love to. Th- There's no evidence to me in the game that would indicate that anything actually did happen because. Is, there's no sort I a, a lot of the times like early on in the game, I was assuming that we would get to some sort of like heretical god on this planet that has trapped you know survivors yeah. of crashes in a time loop or something like, like that like a Dormammu exactly. situation but then once you realize that you don't ever find that and then then you have to ask yourself the questions of why is this boss playing Don't Fear the Reaper why am I finding a house why is there a car <laughs> why is there a car like all these things that are just sort of so out of place that it almost must be imagined yes so and I think uh, there are a lot of really cool I mean Kudos to Housemark for, first of all, to my knowledge, having never done a story game, at least to this scale. Yeah. And having so many self-references throughout the game with the 836, with Don't Fear the Reaper, even with, assuming this is imagined, uh, a lot of, or what we play, the gameplay is imagined. Like, when have you ever seen a spacesuit just say someone's name yeah. on the helmet? And all the helmets just say, Celine. So it's like, little shit like that, when you're imagining yourself as some space combat person, or a kid imagining it, whatever, you would think, like, oh yeah, their helmet would say Celine, but it wouldn't. It would say, you know, whatever country they're from, or whatever program, whatever. Like, just little details like that are so fucking clever. Yeah, and just maybe that's sort of her constantly reliving the reality, like, I should have died. Mm. My kid died. I wish it was me. That's a great point. And, you know, over and over again, like I'm experiencing my own death and I wish that was the truth, but I'm forced to relive that because that's not what actually happened. You know, something to that effect. Yeah, no, I like it. Um, that's if I had to come down, if I had to put my money on a theory and obviously I don't think house marks ever going to come out and confirm right, a theory. Right, right, right. It's probably that Celine is the driver. Yes. The car crash happens because she sort of had a brief fleeting hallucination of her mom as an astronaut in the middle of the road she drives off right kid dies i think maybe it could be interpreted that she was rescued but the kid was not Mm. and that she was pulled out of the car by like the tentacles tentacles, which is just like somebody saving her and you know she is you know breached and she says helios which might be the name of the kid yeah and you know she's regretting she's like why me not her right i think that's my best estimation i would agree with you that i think that is the that is the clearest thing we could get from it. Yeah. And I understand that like my kid theory might not hold water <laughs> uh, as much anymore having seen the endings. But uh, there was another element that I thought of that I'm, I'm trying to remember now. It's, it's just such an interesting ending that the, f- the fact that they tie in so much of what seems like a 30 second thing, like every detail. Oh, what I was going to say is what is the white shadow? Oh, so 
the two I think most reasonable, which it's weird that the kid says it. Yes. I don't really understand how it ties back to the kid. To me, the white shadow is either the astronaut being seen in the road. Or the moon. Or the reflection of the moon at the yeah. top of the water. I think yeah. it's the moon. I yeah. think that I think makes that's more the best sense. Um, because it does kind of look like a shadow when you're looking at it. I wonder if the kid saying it is in a similar vein to her seeing the astronaut, where it's just like a hallucination thing. Yeah. Where it's like... Hey, Mom, do you see the white shadows? Because like, that's oh. a very strange thing for a kid to say. <laughs> it is kind of creepy. Uh, I mean, it's very creepy. Hey, Mom, do you speak to the devil? <laughs> Don't fear the reaper. What a game. It's so good. I think the... I think this is one of the rare cases where the ending of the game makes me like the game even more. I won't say that. Because I do like... I, I like interpretation. I like when they leave it a little open. Yeah. I would like just a little more direction as to mm. what is the truth, where it leaves it open, but they're like, we're telling you the ending, but we're leaving it open. This may, makes it more like there are three or four potential possibilities yeah. that are all equally likely in certain ways. One possibility we've not touched on is a tropos just purgatory. Sure. Is she just stuck in a purgatorial loop, and she died on the crash, and she's having to live with all the traumas of having been responsible for the death or at least trauma of her kid. And also I wonder if the mom thing, you know, she's in a wheelchair. Yeah. Is there some sort of inference that like maybe she left her mom in like a nursing home or when she went on this one way flight or whatever that she didn't take care of her mom? I wonder what how that plays in. I think the inference there is probably that her mom was a you know, relatively successful astronaut yeah. who experienced some sort of injury and then was no longer able to be an astronaut mm. and then sort of was resentful towards her daughter and took it out on her oh, in interesting. certain ways, okay. which sort of led to that, you know, not entirely healthy relationship, which is probably right. what made Celine have this weird demonic image of astronauts like in her head. That's a good point. That's sort of, that would be my take on that front. Yeah. See, I just saw the astronaut as the immense pressure of having a mom who was an astronaut. Yeah. I, that, that was my, and that was my take, but that's a really interesting take too. Um, I love, I love this kind of shit. I think this is, <laughs> it is great for this. Yes. For the purpose of discussion. Right. I, 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 I love movies that end like this, like the inception ending, things like that. Like I, I love when endings are sort of open-ended and games don't do that enough. And for a game that has such a, interesting mysterious almost lost like story Mm -hmm. where there's like all these elements that are seemingly random but as opposed to lost where they were like yeah well here's our ending this was like you know what you make it the ending you want and i I love that yeah i do love it and we've you know sung the praises but i will say at this point if you use the rotland globber regularly you're a psycho what that gun's good no it's not it's good it's a good gun every single gun that is one shot not good. No, nah, dude. No, That's no, no, no. my take. Okay, yeah, we got to get in the gun breakdown. All right, so what is your ranking of guns? All right. Uh, I think one is still the, the carbine. Oh. I think I, the carbine is still the most versatile. Carbine's great. Two, I'm going on. It's, and it's tough because I think the top three for me are locked in. Okay. And they're semi-interchangeable. I assume they're carbine, hollow seeker, pylon. Absolutely. Yeah. Then I think four is just the pistol when you can find like oh an upgraded God, version of the pistol. Uh, I think the three round burst when you find the, the upgraded most version of that is actually really useful. It's pretty good. And it, honestly, after that, it's kind of like 
whatever for me. Mm. The shotgun is next because I think there are good uses for the shotgun. Oh, I'm I'm very in disagreement um, with you. But I think the rock gl- rock gland lover or rock gland glover whatever. It's rock gland lover. Yeah, think. I, I never used that. I never picked it up almost ever. Um, the dreadbound. I still don't understand the. I don't know if I've used that gun. I I remember seeing you like find it but i don't know if i don't think i picked it up i still can't figure out what exactly the shtick of it is what is it it's got like four like diamonds as like the ammo okay and it sort of just has like a little burst and then it reloads and i'm like i don't really understand what the use of this gun is i don't remember this gun um what are some other ones uh the pyro shell caster a grenade launcher there's the one that's the grenade launcher and one that's more of like a rocket launcher. Yes. The, uh, thermogenic or launcher. something. It's called the launcher. I think the thermogenic launcher is the one I prefer. Um, whatever one is like the three round, like, I that's, like that one better. That's the launcher. Okay. I like that one better. So here are my rankings. Okay. One, electro pylon driver. That gun's fucking awesome. I think it's the best for the end game. Yes. It's best for boss fights. I disagree with that. What's best for boss fights? I, just, I still think the Carbine or the Hollow Seeker is See, the best. I, okay, so I would go Pylon Driver 1, Hollow Seeker 2, Carbine 3. So we're not in disagreement on what the top three no. are. We just have them in different order. Four, what's the gun? I don't think this is number four, but I, I have to bring it up. Sure. There's a gun that is like a one-shot that you charge. Oh, uh, the Coil Spine something. Driver? No, shredder? That's, coil that, Spine Shredder. Is that one more like an SMG? No, no, you're right. You're right. That's the one that's, that's like one the that one char- I know that's that one. Okay, so I don't know where that one ranks, but I, I never go, really use that one either. I would almost venture to go Lobber 4. No. The damage over time of the Lobber is so good because it like poisons the enemy. Um, Spit Mob Blaster would be my last one. I do really? Not, I do not like the shotgun. There's just so many enemies. I don't play that game... I'm never close to an enemy, I guess. So I guess in the end game or like later in the game when I was like... A lot more like blase with like I'm just running and gunning and getting close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can pick up all the health that I find. I'm getting close to enemies. When you get close to an enemy with that gun, it shreds. That's like, true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they all. The good thing about this game is that they all have their benefits. I would say, except for the dreadbound. Yeah, I, I still have to play with that like, one. The the rocket launcher one, not the pyro shell caster, the thermogenic whatever. Yeah. That one is really good for boss fights mm. because you can kind of zone out and just if you throw it toward the the enemy, you're gonna hit him. Um, I might put, I would say, okay, the three I said, I'm gonna go launcher, lobber, pistol, mm. and then the rest I don't really care. Um, which I like the pistol. That's the thing. Like most of the guns in the game, I like, and I'm not opposed to. Yeah. See, for me, I think the best one, if I was going into a boss fight, is the Hollow Seeker. Because there is less of a risk of me missing entirely because I'm shooting so many bullets. Sure. So I'm always feeling like I'm doing some sort of damage. Fair. Whereas like any of the one shot guns, like if I'm not very precise, I feel like I'm not making any progress. Sure. Which I really didn't like. Yeah. For group settings, for playing the regular levels. Yeah. The electro pylon driver is oh my God. untouchable. It's like, so good. The fact that you can just lay down like a pylon here and a pylon there and hit three enemies and it's doing damage over time to multiple enemies yeah. is just so good. And I the pylon driver is great for boss fights too. It is really good still. Once you hit it, it still just does damage and you don't have to worry about it. Yeah. Um, all right. Favorite alt. Ooh. I think my favorite ones are just the ones that it's just one really powerful shot. Yeah. Just because it's less to think about. Yeah. I like um, the one that's the green 
sort of multi bullets go into one enemy thing. Mm, sure. Which is, is it is a one shot. Is that the one that's like it's horizontal and it arcs or is it the vertical and it's just in a line? Well, those are blue, I think. There's maybe. A, or maybe it is. Gr- I think one of those is green. But it's the vertical one's the green one. But okay. like. Yeah, you're right. You're I'm thinking right. of the ones that are. You still basically just hit one target. Like the horizontal one, there's one that like shoots projectiles that bounce around. Yeah. I'm not as I'm not as big a fan of I think that that's one. the one that's the horizontal and it Horizontal arcs. barrage, I think is what it's called. It, the red one is the one that's just the one the straight shot, which yeah. I really like. It's good, but it's easy to miss. Yeah. Um, the electric one's pretty cool. I like that one for, uh, for small rooms. groups of enemies, yeah. too. Am I missing any? I feel like I'm forgetting some. I mean, there are some that I still haven't quite figured out. Mm. Um, that seems like they don't do anything. Like but which ones? I don't know, because I don't really... They don't do anything, so I'm just like, well, not going to use that. Fair, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, man, what a game. Have you settled on a score? I think this is... It's not a 10, simply because it's too buggy. Um, there are there are too many, maybe patchable issues with the game. But like, even post-beating the game, this was like this week, I was in a pretty decent run in the snow area... And the game just hard crashed on me mm. to the point where I had to like manually reset my PS5. Ouch. Um, it was fine, but it's just, it's one of those things. It's like, if you could just fix that. Uh, I think it's a 9.5 for me. Wow. I really, really like this game. I think it's going to be hard to beat for a game of the year. Um, granted, we'll see if God of War comes out, how much I like Horizon. You know, there's a lot of games that could possibly beat it. But from the story perspective, I, again, I was, I was hovering around a 9. What'd you give it like a nine two? Nine one is what I gave yeah, it. Yeah, so I was hovering around that until the ending, and the question marks of the ending made me like it so much more that I'm like, all right, there's more I want to see with this game. I loved it. I think cool. it's great. I'm because it is still like anywhere in like the low nines is where I would have it. Yeah. Um nine five is like it's, it's really high, fucking it's high good, praise. dude. I think it deserves that on gameplay merit alone. And then yeah. it's just how else does the rest of the game make you feel? Right. So. Man. All right. God bless Returnal. Hell yeah. Darn good game. Surprising game of the year candidate. Absolutely. Came out of nowhere. Well, Tanner, you, you're back now. Maybe you skipped forward. <laughs> to um, see the wrap up. The spoilers are over now. That's true. There'll be timestamps, so you're, you're possible. So, Tanner, do you have a recommendation to give for this week? <laughs> My recommend is going to be Don't Starve, a game that I... Cool. Have, have sort of gotten back into I, I want to get this damn trophy um, and another slight recommend I have is just go look through your game library there are a lot of games that you probably own uh, that you may haven't I find myself and I've, I've had this discussion with people in the community as well it's often that I'll see my game library and be sort of overwhelmed right? Oh, paralysis by analysis is what they call it um, but just Take a look through it and go, what sounds fun? And just download it. Give yourself a chance to get through your backlog. Because a lot of people have a huge backlog. I'm playing Don't Starve Again. It's not really a backlog game, but it's great. So Yeah. Yeah, I, there's plenty of games sitting in my library that I would like to get to, but just either aren't grabbing me or have not had time. Now's you know, the time. Whatever it may be. We don't have a big release coming until That's true. I don't give Ratchet. a crap about Ratchet. So. I do, but... My recommend, uh, and this is just mainly a product of me watching pretty much nothing but YouTube in like recently like there's yeah. no sports so like if I'm sitting at home and I'm not playing a game and I'm not listening to a podcast I'm just throwing YouTube on and seeing what pops up yeah one thing that popped up that I'd actually watched before but is a great like 
insight into game development and insight into one of the best games ever made is the documentary Raising Kratos. Mm. Which Have you ever watched it? I've not. So it's the documentary about the making of God of War. Yeah. Um, heavily featuring Corey Barlog, who is the director of God of War. Uh, and it's just wonderful. Like, mm. they're great characters at Sony Santa Monica. They give you a lot of great insights into the development of the game and sort of... Honestly, they give you some insights into what... Not necessarily what God of War Ragnarok may be, but sort of how they were already percolating the ideas right. of what would become God of War Ragnarok in the makings of the first one. Um, Which is awesome. If you like documentaries, it's about as good of a video game oriented documentary and it's free. It's on YouTube. So it's on like, I think it's on, I think it's on PlayStation's just YouTube channel. Cool. So you can just go look it up. I so, may have to watch that. Absolutely. That sounds really good. It's great. So play Returnal. Yeah. Shout out to, to the video of Corey Barlog reading the reviews of, uh, of God, God of War. War, yeah, and getting teared up. It's a because, great video. Uh, maybe we should just recommend God of War. Play God of War. <laughs> We're recommending Kari Barlog. Yeah, for our... he's a good human. He seems great. Uh, and we seem great, and you seem great. <laughs> Humble as ever. And we seem great, even though we're taking next week off. That's true. Yep, no podcast next week. It'll be great the week after that, because it's, it's E3. Hell yeah, it is. So we will iron out exactly what we're going to do for individual conferences here in the coming weeks. We may stream it. And we will relay those plans to you. But nevertheless, big times ahead. <laughs> big announcements ahead. E3 season has effectively already begun. Yeah, I think it started this week. So I think for the next few weeks, we're just going to be bombarded with announcements. Get excited, and until we see you again, we're tapping out.